Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome into this week's episode of La Liga Lowdown. This is our match day 9 recap and I'm your host Ewan McTeer. As always, we're also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157 and as always, we've got various contributors from across La Liga coming up. A real mix of fans and journalists who know their clubs as well as anybody else. We're going to start by discussing Real Sociedad versus Granada, a match that made headlines well before the first ball was kicked. In the days leading up to the match, there'd been a COVID-19 outbreak at Granada and it all really kicked off when they travelled to Cyprus for a Thursday night Europa League game. As a result, they were told by the Spanish footballing authorities that only players who hadn't travelled to Cyprus or who were already proven to have antibodies could play in this game. That left them with just seven first-team squad members for the match. Five of them attacking players, one defensive midfielder, two and one centre-back. And three of the seven weren't 100% fit, so Granada had to travel to San Sebastian for the game with 12 youth team players to make up the numbers. They asked to have the game postponed, but those requests were denied. They would have to play the kids. Logically, this has left many Granada fans frustrated, and that includes our resident Granada contributor Heath Chester's here he sends his thoughts on the situation. What happened was, quite frankly, an embarrassing situation on the part of La Liga, who showed very little understanding or sympathy for Granada's situation. Granada had protested that the game shouldn't go ahead. They made three appeals, both to La Liga and to the Spanish Federation. And ultimately, they fell on deaf ears because of the rigidity of the regulations that had been agreed on at the start of this season. Now, that stipulated that as long as there was a minimum of five first-team players on the pitch throughout the game, the game could go ahead. And while in practice it can work, in reality it was a terrible situation for any team to be placed in because they had to organise everything last minute. Not only that, amongst those seven players, some were carrying injuries. Uh, Roberto Soldado, for example, 
was just coming back from being out of action due to COVID. And whilst he's now tested negative, he hasn't trained for a month. He's been sat at home and he was thrown straight into a game. You also had Molina, who'd been on the trip to Cyprus, and Kennedy. Both had come back with injuries. Both were forced to play. Both are possibly now even more injured than they were before because of being forced to play. Hopefully, if anything comes of this game from Granada against Real Sociedad, it's that perhaps La Liga and the Spanish Federation learn some valuable lessons about managing the reality of the situation with COVID, which is going to affect teams throughout the remainder of this season. Uh, it's almost an inv- inevitability. And that's the only thing you can hope for, really, is that it can be managed as best possible, looking at each set of circumstances individually. Now, the game did go ahead, and the truth is that it was a fairly comfortable win for Real Sofidad as they went 2-0 up before even reaching the half-hour mark. But the youngsters of Granada did an excellent job. They really did. And speaking to Heath, he also told me that this was a positive of this game, that the young players did the badge proud by showing great fight and keeping the score 2-0 all the way to the final whistle. They did Granada proud, but so too did Real Sofidad. It wasn't an easy situation for them either, to be honest, as they went into a game not knowing what to expect, but they were professional enough to overcome this unique challenge and to secure a fifth win in a row in La Liga. They remain top of the table, so let's bring in Real Sofidad's season ticket holder, long-time San Sebastian resident, and Spanish football author Phil Ball. Now, Phil, before we talk about La Real, just what were your thoughts on the Granada situation? Should this game have been played? Well, you know, I think that no is the obvious answer. You know, the, the rules are the rules. But the situation was extraordinary in every sense. You know, the, the circumstances were ridiculously adverse after the Cyprus trip. Uh, they didn't even know on Saturday morning if they were still going to play or not. I mean, they, they came up from Granada on the plane at one o'clock to Pamplona. They got a coach and arrived here in San Sebastian at 2.20. You know, the game started at 4.15. I mean, it's not really on, is it? Um, as they put up a reasonable performance under the circumstances, but then, of course, when Jorge Molina was uh, was injured and went off, they only had four senior players on, which, uh, strictly speaking, is against the rules as well. And so that would that would count as um, alineación indebida, uh, incorrect alignment, which sounds like your printer's off or something. Um, if Real Sociedad had appealed, then they'll be given a 3-0 victory instead of a 2-0 victory, which will mean that William Jose's missed penalty won't matter. But I, I rather doubt that they'll do that. Uh, Real Sociedad, I don't, I don't think, will wish to um, you know, rub any more salt into the wound. And uh, Of course, the referee might put it in his report, and if he does, then it'll be 3-0. But I don't think Granada are particularly bothered about that. So, basically, uh, I think there should have been more flexibility and I don't think it should have been played, now. In the end, it was played and Real Sociedad dominated. Just how comfortable was it for La Real? Well, at 2-0, it was, yeah, it was it was comfy. Uh, I, I don't think Granada would have chosen Real Sociedad to be the team to travel to, even in normal circumstances at the moment, even though Granada were also doing very well. Uh, you know, La Real, obviously, the informed side in La Liga, 
it should have been three nil, of course, but William Jose missed the penalty. Well, uh, the goalkeeper Angel Jimenez saved it, and you know I felt very happy for him. You know, this is a guy who hasn't even played in the B team yet. You know, he plays in uh, Regional, Regional de Honor. Uh, so, you know, he played very well, in fact. He he was given three stars by Marco, which I think was uh, correct. So, you know, I think it was inevitable that Real were going to win it. It's five La Liga wins in a row. Are Real Sociedad the best team in La Liga right now? Uh, yep. And I think there are three reasons. Uh, one... I think uh, the aesthetics and the attacking options, you know, whoever, whichever journalist you read, Spanish or European, they are all saying the same, that they're the best side to watch. In fact, last season they were as well, if you remember. They've just replaced Odegaard with silver, basically. Uh, and, the, and the rest of it just functions like a machine. Um, they've got so many attacking options. They've got uh, Isaac, they've got Porto, they've got Oyorzabal, they've got William Jose, they've got Barnechea, etc., etc., etc. You know, uh, oof, as they say in Spanish. The midfield is sublime if it's if it's a little bit over left footed. But with uh, Mikel Marino, who's quite clearly the best midfielder in Spain at the moment, you've got Silva just slotting in there as if he's never been away. Uh, fantastic, you know. And you've got Martin Zubimendi. More of him later. But uh, we're also the top scorers, so you know it's it's unarguable. Two, you've got an improved defence. Compared to last season, you know, we've only conceded four goals in nine games. Compared to last season, this is a big difference with Real Sociedad. They were playing great stuff last season, but conceding too many goals and some silly ones as well. Why? Well, because of uh, Robin Lenormand, who's pronounced Lenormand by all the Spanish commentators, but of course he's pronounced Lenormand. He's very young too, but he's fantastic. He's... um, you know the kind of uh, the Breton armor, and uh, and of course with Aritz uh, Elistondo as well, settling in at the back, it's been great. The third reason is the the cantera. In other words, the youth system. You know the, this team has a local identity. Uh, Sixteen of the twenty-five squad have come through the youth system. The others just slot in. You know, uh, this is a much more locally made side than Athletic Bilbao, and I never tire of saying it. You know, the average age is very young too. Uh, basically, it's it's twenty-three. So, are they legitimate title challengers, in your opinion? Um, no, in a word. You know, as Alan Hansen said, you know, you don't win anything with kids. And although he was wrong in the case of Man United, he's probably right in in a general sense. You know, uh, the average age of the side is twenty three, and if you took out Silver and Marino, you know, they'd, they'd all be running around in short pants. It's very difficult to sustain it a whole league campaign, you know, when you're up against what you're up against. Uh, I also think they're in too many competitions. You know, the Europa League is very energy sapping. You know, those Thursday game you play on the Sunday, you have to travel. Uh, if they do progress in the Europa League, and one hopes they do, uh, it's going to be really tough. You know, they've got the uh, Supercopa in uh, Saudi Arabia in January. You know, that's going to be tiring as well and it's going to put them a few games behind you know they'll they'll have to catch up those games they won't have much time to play them they've got the cup final to play in april they've got the cup competition to play in as well it's 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 going to be very difficult you know thanks for that phil so that was the story of a real sofidad versus granada fixture that both teams were actually able to come out of feeling proud we're now going to have our sore throat game of the week where we bring you some of the best commentary clips from a particular game and that game this week is Atletico Madrid 4, Cadiz 0. Here's Matt Clark to take us through it. Following a midweek draw in Russia in the Champions League where they deserve far more, Atleti returned to La Liga action against a Cadiz side 
that have been a revelation on the road. After four consecutive away wins without conceding a single goal, this represented a potential banana skin match for Diego Simeone's side. But any pre-match nerves were quickly dispelled when João Felix headed Los Rojiblancos into an early lead with the Cadiz keeper Conan Ledesma nowhere to be seen. He had come for a high ball and made a right mess of it, crashing into his own defender. And Marcos Llorente picked up the loose ball and crossed for the Portuguese sensation to head home. Here's how it sounded on copy. A wonderful phrase there, del faro que ilumina, the lighthouse that illuminates Atletico Madrid. And João Felix really has been shining brightly this season. Atleti quickly doubled their lead through another of 2020's best players, Marcos Llorente, recognised this week with a Spanish call-up. The Carrusel Deportivo commentators were glowing with praise for Llorente. The flying boy, He-Man scores, the international of Luis Enrique scores, Marcos Llorente. Opta Jose with the incredible stat that among La Liga players in 2020, only Leo Messi has scored and assisted in the same game more times than Llorente's four. João Felix then turned provider for Luis Suarez in the second half after VAR confirmed the Uruguayan was onside. Then right at the end, Atleti made it 4-0. João's second goal of the match, Atleti's fourth, the goal that temporarily at least took them to the top of the table. A really comprehensive night's work for Simeone's men, stretching their unbeaten run in La Liga to 23 matches, and their home record against recently promoted sides under El Cholo is magnificent. 26 games, 24 wins and just two draws. That's title-challenging consistency for sure. Yes, Atleti really do look like title contenders, just like, as we mentioned, Real Sofidad do as well. After the break, we're going to discuss the two most regular title challengers, Real Madrid and Barcelona, who were each involved in some goal fests this weekend. That's coming up after this short pause. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everyone and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown Match Day recap. Looking back on Match Day 9, this was a historic match day in the sense that there were 12 penalties called across the 10 matches, which is a joint record for a La Liga match day. The only other time was in the 41st round of the 95-96 season, and that was over 11 fixtures, not 10. Just four minutes in to this weekend's action, we had the first of the penalties as a handball was called on Hugo Mayo in Elche and Celta Vigo's meeting, which ultimately finished 1-1. That was one of three matches that took place in the Valencian community this weekend, another of which was Levante 1, Alaves 1. Now, this match won't go down in history for the football that was played or the result. That will quickly be forgotten. But this was special as it was Levante's first game back at the Estadi Ciutat de Valencia, the first time they've played there since March. They've had redevelopment work done on their home ground and they could finally return home after having played their matches in Alicante and Villarreal these past few months. So, happy homecoming, Levante. The stadium really does look awesome, and if you want to see it, then take a look at the La Liga Lowdown Twitter feed, because Paco Pollock got a tour this past week and shared some images from inside. We're going to speak, actually, to Paco now, our favourite Valencia fan, because he finally had something to cheer about. The other match from the Valencian community this weekend was Valencia 4 Real Madrid won. After Karim Benzema scored a rocket, Valencia got four, and every one of the goals had an element of VAR, especially as three of them were Carlos Soler penalties. So first of all, can you talk us through each of the Valencia goals and those VAR calls that I'm pretty sure will make the headlines in the coming days? I actually believe all of the calls were ultimately right. The first one was an absolute piece of cake, a Jose Gaya cross from the win which accidental right back Lucas Vazquez blocked with the arm, clear pen, which the referee decided to repeat after Lucas again set foot inside the box before Carlos Soler took it. The goal which pulled Valencia ahead, the second one, was again pretty easy for the BAR as Varane's faulty deflection clearly went over the line and inside the goal. The third goal, Valencia's second pen, was a clumsy foul by Marcelo, which again, I don't really believe it's subject of controversy. And finally, the third penalty was a handball by Sergio Ramos, clear as day. So the bottom line is, yeah, the plays were harsh on Real Madrid, but the truth is that all of them were accurate and properly refereed. Defensively, Valencia did a really good job of frustrating Real Madrid, didn't they? After watching the game and checking some highlights later, I have to say that both Hugo Guillamón and Gabriel Paulista had a huge performance overall. Also, Daniel Vaz once again had to play as right-back and did very well after Thierry Correa's absurd red card last week. 
Jose Gallas' game can be even described with words and both Uros Rasic, Carlos Soler, Cheryshev and Yunus Musa ran and ran and kept running to help their teammates when defending. If you add Real Madrid's lack of ideas when attacking, the end score is quite easy to understand. Let's discuss Real Madrid then. What did you think of their performance? Real Madrid are currently sitting in the middle of a crossroad between the team they currently are, disappointing, and the team that they hope to be someday. I already stated last season that even after winning 10 out of their last 11 games, they had done it by barely coming out alive from quite a few matches, not being dominant enough and being supported and often saved by Ramos' goals and Courtois' saves. But that isn't enough for a full season. The squad is one year older, with not real signings besides Odegaard being back, and without Zinedine Zidane being able to find solutions when he loses players due to injury or to COVID-19 infection, as it happened this weekend with Casemiro and Hazard. Luckily for them, Barca seem to be struggling too. Unfortunately for them... Atleti and other squads such as Real Sociedad or Villarreal are looking much sharper at this point when compared to last season. Thanks Paco, I hope you can go and enjoy that victory because you and all Valencia fans really deserved a night like that. With Real Madrid dropping points, that's obviously good news for Barcelona. They hosted Real Betis this weekend and won a back and forth game that finished 5-2 to the Catalan side. Let's bring in Barca fan Roman de Arquer now and let's start by talking about the big pre-match news, which was that Leo Messi started on the bench. Were you as surprised as me to see him not start? It was definitely a surprise because um, Messi is our most important player and of course a team such as Betis deserves a lot of respect and you'd think that Kuman would want to put his best lineup possible against them because we all know how Barca have uh, struggled in the past against uh, Real Betis. But at the same time, I did know that at some point Messi needed a rest because he's been playing game after game, 90 minutes with his international uh, team with uh, Barcelona. So at some point he had to rest and I guess this was the moment finally. But then when he came on, just how good was that second half performance? I think overall Barcelona had a good performance in both halves, but it's true that towards goal um, they were lacking a bit of aim and I think uh, Messi can always help in that sense because he's our best player and of course in the end he scored two goals, one from the penalty spot and another uh, great shot after a Sergi Roberto assist and in the second half finally we found that aim we were lacking in the first. And also, it has to be said, we were playing against 10 men in a big part of that second half, so that really helped a lot. But overall, I think Barcelona had a good game, and with Messi, you're always a better team because Messi is the best, and it was a great performance for him and from the whole squad. Let's talk about Barca's attack in general. We're two months into the season. Do you know what their best front four is yet? Like, what's the 3-1 part of the 4-2-3-1? It's a tricky question and I think Kuman isn't sure himself to be honest uh, because he has a lot of good attacking options and for example in the game against Betis he played without Messi and Griezmann seemed uh, to do really well in that first half even though he didn't score he was in the right positions he was combining more than often he had three or four chances including a penalty to score and he looked really good in that uh, first half so uh, it really depends on what Kuman needs in each game but for me I guess the ideal uh, front four would be Messi with uh, Ansu Fati and Griezmann and uh, behind them 
um, Pedri, who I think has been fantastic this season. But let's not forget, uh, Coutinho was also great at the start before getting injured. There's other options with Dembele, with Trincao. And it also has to be pointed out that Ansu Fati is injured now, as we found out recently. And it doesn't look good. It's something related to his knee, his meniscus. And he could be out for quite a while. So there's a setback for Kuman, who won't be able to have Ansu Fati uh, for a while, it seems. Yeah, that's right. And that's a real shame. Ansu Fati will be going for surgery. And that, that just sucks. That's a real shame because his story had been so inspiring and fun to follow. So thanks to Roman for that Barca insight. We're going to round up some of the other matches now. And Barcelona's win, well, that was their first in five La Liga matches. And Sevilla also won for the first time in five domestic outings. They were at home to Osasuna and a Lucas Campos penalty was enough to separate those teams and to earn Sevilla a 1-0 win. Certainly less dramatic than their midweek five-goal thriller against Krasnodar, but important nonetheless. Villarreal also had a memorable midweek as their Europe League game against Maccabi Tel Aviv was delayed because of one of the craziest rainstorms you're ever likely to see. They only had 62 hours between full-time of that midweek game and kick-off of their Sunday afternoon clash away at Hitafe. That sounds tough, but Villarreal came out firing and were 2-1 up after 20 minutes. Paco Alcacer, Mauro Arambari and Manu Trigueros traded a few early goals before Gerard Moreno added another late on to make it a first away win of the La Liga season for Villarreal. Curiously, that made them the only away team to win this weekend. There was no winner when Huesca hosted Ibar on Saturday in a game that finished 1-1. Esteban Burgos had a huge first half defensively and at the other end as he put Ibar ahead. But Rafa Mir continued his good form to earn a draw for Huesca. It's their sixth draw of the season, but they're still winless. And that's got to be a concern for Huesca fans. Let's talk now about the other team that came into this weekend's action without a win, but who solved that this time out? That's Real Valladolid, and we're going to discuss them with Martin Devlin, the man behind the Pusela Escoffia fan group and fan account. It's the first time we've had Martin on this season, but that's not because he's been hiding away anything, but I know he's wanted to come on and face the music on his team's struggles, but he's been too busy being a hero doctor and fighting coronavirus on the front lines, so... It's just coincidence that we're talking now after they finally won, defeating Athletic Club 2-1 at home. But Martin, coming into this game, knowing that Real Valladolid were winless, what were your thoughts then? Hi Ewan, it's nice to be speaking to you after a win, but to be perfectly honest with you, in the run-up to this match, I had almost no confidence that Real Valladolid were going to get anything positive from it, because the team had given me absolutely no reason to be optimistic. It's been a pretty dismal season so far. Without a win in eight attempts, Pulsella had managed to scratch out just five goals, and two of those were penalties. Nothing seemed to be working, and the team looked disjointed and ill at ease with each other. There have been several changes in the lineup since last season, and it looked very much like the team had not gelled yet. With each match ending without victory, they were looking increasingly burdened by this winless tag. Not only this, but three very winnable matches in a row against Abar. Huesca and Deportivo Alaves had yielded just one point from a possible nine. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they did win. What was different about this Real Valladolid performance compared to the previous eight matches? I felt that it was a good overall team performance, certainly quite unlike the patchy displays in previous matches, but it often looked like this was the first time that some of the players had seen each other. 
there was a cohesiveness that had also been missing up until this point, and this understanding between the players gave rise to a pretty confident style of play. Now, Sergio has been criticised in the past for playing too conservatively, and I'm one of those people who have criticised him, actually. Um, And it's really important for Real Valladolid to get ahead in a match because they aren't built to chase matches or to catch up when they're down. It's more of a management system which tries to avoid losing and doesn't take the match to their opponents. But in this particular game, they seem to be on the front foot for about three quarters of the match. Now, one of the things that struck me about this match was that Rocky Mesa and Sean Beisman were both on the bench and didn't come off it. Considering they were two of the more high-profile summer signings, what does that say about Sergio's views on the squad and the summer recruitment? Yeah, we're talking about two high-quality players here in Rocky Mesa and Sean Weissman, but they were both curious acquisitions. I don't necessarily think that Mesa was the type of player that the club needs, because they're already quite well served in the midfield position. The summer transfer window was, in all honesty, not well handled by the club and I think they were very slow off the mark and they missed out on a handful of players who'd been in their sights. One of these guys was Ante Budimir who had a really good season at Real Mallorca despite their relegation and he was heavily linked with a move to the club for quite a large part of the summer. But he ended up joining Osasuna and it could be argued that Real Valladolid were reticent to part with the cash needed to meet his demands. This led to the arrival of Sean Weissmann, a 24-year-old Israeli player who had been top scorer in the Austrian Bundesliga with Wolfsberger, and he tallied an incredible 30 goals and 7 assists in 31 matches in the league, and 5 goals and 1 assist in 7 cup matches, which is a phenomenal tally by any stretch of the imagination. Ronaldo was rumoured to be a huge admirer of his play and had quite an influence, I think, in his arrival. And uh, Weissman appeared at the José Zorilla with quite high expectations surrounding him. In reality, it's still early days, but he's yet to find the net in seven outings. However, I'm confident that as he collects more minutes on the pitch that he'll adapt to not just the Spanish game, but the, the lifestyle around him, even if we aren't looking at another Jaime Mata just yet. I'd like to see him partner Marcos Sant'André, who grabbed his first goal this weekend, as I'm not really sure what Sergi Guardiola adds to the team at the moment, and he only has one penalty goal to his name so far. So I'm not pressing the panic button yet about Weissman or Rocky Mesa, as I'm far too busy losing sleep over the defence. That's interesting to hear from the outside. I'd been quite impressed with what they did in the summer, but always good to get the, the proper lowdown from the fans like yourself. Finally, Martin, what now for Real Valladolid? How confident are you that they can kick on and pick up a few more wins? I can see this being a bit of a springboard to them finding their rhythm, but there is still a lot to do, even at this early stage of the season. They just can't afford to lose any more ground, and there needs to be more goals coming in. I'd take another match tomorrow if I could to build on this victory, but unfortunately they'll have to wait until after the international break, which is a blow, as I always feel that momentum is difficult to build up for this club, but also very quickly eradicated, so I hope the two-week layoff doesn't affect them too much. Yeah, that is a shame, I guess, for Real Valladolid that the international break comes right now. It's Granada away next for them, and that's going to be a big one. Well, thanks, Martin, for sharing your thoughts there. That does bring us to the end of this week's episode, and I hope you've enjoyed it. Remember, if you like listening to our matchday recaps, and if you've got this far, I guess that you do, And if you have some other La Liga fans you know, then please do let them know about La Liga Lowdown and our podcasts, our Twitter and our website, if they don't know 
already. The more, the merrier, of course. For now, I thank you for listening to this episode and I thank all this week's contributors. That's Heath Jesters, Phil Ball, Matt Clark, Paco Pollitt, Roman de Arcare, and Martin Devlin. I've been your host, Drew McTeer, and I'll be back with you just after match day 10, coming up in a couple of weeks after the international break. Speak to you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.